Hello and welcome. I'm Emily Danielson, and it is so nice to have you tune in to Bible Idiots, the teaching ministry of Pastor Chris Danielson. Today we're going to Romans chapter 1 and talking about being unashamed of the gospel. But I also want to invite you to experience the outreach broadcast ministry at freshroadmedia.com. There you'll find blogs and talk shows and ways that you can connect and get to know this ministry outreach. So now let's join Chris in Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, 3 verses, verse 15, 16, and 17, and I read in Jesus' name. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Heavenly Father, bless this now. Let, let these be your words to break through to your children now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, be seated. These two short verses present one of the greatest summaries of the gospel ever written by man. In these verses, Paul gives us a clear declaration of God's power and the purpose in the gospel message. Paul's statement about the Gospels begin kind of in a strange fashion. He, he, first, he's, he's telling the readers in, in verse 15, he says, eager to preach the Gospel to you that are in Rome. Then out of the blue, he just changes gears like a, like a camera turn. And he says, I'm not ashamed of the Gospel. He's ready to preach. He's ready to share. Why would anyone be, be ashamed of a message as powerful, as profound, and as needed as the Gospel? Well, I'm glad you asked. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. A little understanding of the culture in which Paul worked all this out might help us to understand a little bit about why some were ashamed to preach the gospel. I'm going to give you four reasons why they were ashamed to preach the gospel. These aren't even your sermon notes. This is just the setup. You ready? Number one, the moral conditions of that day. Nero was the emperor of Rome. This is a wicked, degenerate dude right here, okay? The city of Rome is just a cesspool of sin and warped living. That's what's happening when Paul wants to come and preach the gospel. The gospel Paul preached with its demands for repentance, holiness, and godly living was diametrically opposed to everything Rome stood for and represented. Sound familiar? The fact that Paul was a Jew is point number two. Jews were considered by many to be subhuman race. They were despised, enslaved, mistreated. The gospel was a message that originated in and rose out of a Jewish background. That's a slap in the face to some. Some Jews have been hesitant to share such a message with non-Jews. Many non-Jews would not have listened to a Jewish preacher preach about a Jewish savior. Have you ever connected those dots. Number three, the message Paul preached was an incredible and nearly beyond belief. If you've taken the time, which I hope you have, especially over the last six or seven weeks of, of, of teaching that has been here, those of you who've been here with us for most of those weeks, I hope you see that this message, this gospel message is truly incredible and almost beyond belief. Think of it. The Savior that Paul preached was a male member of the despised Jewish race. 
He was said to be the savior of man. He claimed to be the son of God. He even claimed to be God and man at the same time. His death was surrounded in shame because he died on a Roman cross, the very symbol of shame. Yet in dying that shameful death, Jesus claimed to have died for lost sinners. And if that wasn't enough, Paul preached that this same crucified Jesus rose from the dead the third day after his death. Now to many, 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 many people, the claims of the gospel were just too bizarre to believe. The gospel is a difficult message for a lost, prideful world to accept. Now, I have showed these conversations, these verses before, but let's review. 1 Corinthians 1, 18, and then we'll drop to 22 through 25. Check it out. 1 Corinthians 1, 18 says, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it is also the power of God to us who are being saved. There's your two classes of people. Drop down to verse 22. For the Jews ask for signs, and the Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews, and foolishness to the Gentiles. Verse 24, yet to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Things don't change much over the years, do they? Lastly, point number four, before we get into the real points. Everywhere Paul went preaching the cross, he was ridiculed, cast out, imprisoned, or treated cruelly. Just in Acts 16 and 17, he was imprisoned in Philippi, he was chased out of Thessalonica, he was smuggled out of Berea, he was mocked in Athens. The text I just read you, he was called a fool in Corinth. Stones rained down on him in Galicia. Yet Paul remained eager to preach the gospel in Rome. By this time, how many of us might be a little discouraged? Maybe this isn't, the, this isn't really the right thing going on here. But he wanted to go to Rome, the seat of contemporary political power and pagan religion. He wanted to go right up in the grill. He wanted to be right in the center of it. I hope that motivates you. With all these things in mind, it's easy to see why Paul would want to be clear about his commitment to the gospel message. He would want these people to know that they were hearing from a man who believed his message and was willing to pay the price of shame for it. Now, now that we know why some would have been ashamed out of those four points, why wasn't Paul? After all, many in our day are ashamed of the gospel message. Even in the church, they're ashamed of the gospel message, so they change it to try to make everybody like them. And when I say church, I'm not talking uh, one particular denomination. I'm talking all of them. There's not a sound denomination in the bunch. And I told you this, and I'll tell you again right now. It doesn't matter what it says on the church. It matters what's going on inside the hearts of the people inside the church. Now, Emily and I, through comedy, through conference speaking, through guest speaking for being an interim pastor, we have spoken in over 200-plus churches across the country in 38 different states. That's just America. And I can tell you, 
as your friend, as your pastor, as somebody who I think should have a, just a little bit of credibility, that when you walk into a place, you can feel if Jesus is there. I call it a spiritual odor. You know, you literally, it's, it, it's, it's, it's so strong. It's like an odor, even though it's not. And I know the old joke, well, it smells like somebody broke some sanctification in here. No, but you can tell if Jesus is there. And it doesn't matter. I've been in Lutheran churches that are so soundly saved. Those saints are going to party in the New Jerusalem. I've also been in Lutheran churches where it's deader than a doornail, and I'm wondering what they're doing there, and do they even know who Jesus is? It's, it's not Lutheran. I can say the same thing about Methodists, the same thing about Presbyterians, the same thing about uh, Nazarene Church, uh, Brethren in Christ Church. I mean, I've seen them all. At one point, there was about a year and a half of our career where every day for three hours, our show averaged, according to the phone company, 1,500 attempted calls to our show every day. Who was calling us? It was everybody. And you wanted to know what most of them were asking underneath all of their questions? Is the gospel worth it? Is the gospel worth it? Am I really saved if I believe this way or that way? How can we all disagree and yet all agree? Because it's the power of the gospel. And point number one, step number one, key number one, is we got to embrace it as if it's our life and we're not ashamed. You ever, know, ever wonder why I stand up here and I'm self-depreciating about my family? Because I'm not ashamed of them. Those are my people. Me and my kids and some of the Danielsons, we have a phrase. It's called... I like us. I like us. I like my kids. I like my wife. I, you might not like us. We might be too loud. We might be too abrasive. We might be too much not like you, but I like us. And it's the same thing with the church of Jesus Christ, the authentic bride of Christ that shares the gospel that's not ashamed. I love her, and I want to be a part of her every day. After all, many in our day are ashamed of the gospel message. But what, what, what made Paul keep going? What invigorated this guy, and can we learn something from that? And I think the answer is found in the, in the truth Paul reveals about the gospel. See, in these verses, Paul reminds us that we have a gospel to be proud of. I want to share with you today on the thought of not ashamed of the gospel, but I want you to see the message of Jesus Christ, his salvation, is a message we want to share with everyone, everywhere, without shame and without fear. And it's so strong, it's so powerful, that it is said that when you have that spirit of God just infused in you, and you know the power of the gospel, it has been said by missionaries years gone by that you would crawl across all of London on broken glass to share this awesome message with your worst enemy. Now, why would somebody say something like that? It must be a pretty good gospel, isn't it? Well, I'm going to show you today five markings, five markings of the gospel that make it a message that we need not be ashamed, not only that, but we need to get up on the wheel and drive like our hair's on fire. Are you ready? Number one, the gospel is engraved by sovereign power. Paul tells us the gospel is the power of God. The word power comes from a word that refers to might, energy, force, strength that dwell within God. 
God could have revealed his power against sin any way that he chose. He could have wiped out mankind from the face of the earth. He could have done anything he wanted because he's the all-powerful God. He can do anything. But notice what he did. When the Lord moved to do something about sin, he exercised his power by sending men the gospel of grace. Nowhere is the power of God as visible as in the gospel of Christ. And it's not power like the way we think of it until we stop and think of it in the spirit on Un, you know, drops the veil from our eyes, and once we see it, and once we taste it, it's like we can't ever unsee it. We can't ever untaste it. We will know for the rest of our life that this gospel is life. Think about it. When God takes a lost sinner and saves him by his grace and makes him a new creature, is that not the most powerful thing? God could have sent us all to hell. We don't talk about that. Oh, God could have had us all eternally separated from God. Is that better? But he instead chose to send us his love wrapped up in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect life and then died the sacrificial death. I thank the Lord that he loved us first. It gives the Danielson clan a shot. gives you guys a shot. And when we all get that, then we want to hang out together and make his name great. See, notice Paul's message is the gospel of Christ. Make no mistake about it. There are different gospels being preached today. There's the gospel of religion that says, turn over a new leaf. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Let your efforts be known unto the great God, and he'll smile upon thee. There's the gospel of materialism that says your worth is determined by what you have. Gain is the goal of life. Then there's the gospel of liberalism that says, I'm okay, you're okay, God accepts us like we are and will take us to heaven if heaven really exists. Then there's the gospel of society that says, do as you please for life is short. Paul's message, on the other hand, was this. You ready? You are a sinner. And if you die in your sins, you will go to hell. However... God loves you and sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, into the world. Jesus died for your sins, rose from the dead. And if you will place your faith in him, then you can and will be eternally saved. And the Spirit will convict you of one certain thing that is just so precious once you transfer trust to Jesus. And that is that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. There is no other game. There is no other deal. There is no other... You know, find, find, find the hidden card. There is no other thing to uncover. That's it. Is your name written in the Lamb's book of life or is it not? Here's a tip. Let's say it's not. How are you going to get your name in there? You can't. There's nothing you can do. Sell everything that you own. Go to the farthest countries, be a missionary. Proclaim Jesus Christ as Savior. Watch a bunch of converts come, and you're still lost if your name's not written in the Lamb's Book of Life because there's only one way to get it in there. None of that other stuff matters. In fact, most of that stuff, when you look at it, all those missionaries and all, those, all that work that's been done for the kingdom, most of that's done out of good old-fashioned gratitude for having your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and you can't pick up a pen and put a single letter down of your name in that book. It only comes from the one who is worthy, the lamb who was slain from the foundations of the earth. See, the gospel of Christ's message is simple. He said in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, 
For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again on the third day according to the Scriptures. It's pretty cool. How about Romans 4.25? Shake, shake this out. Look, real quick. Half the word, same message. Who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification? Making sense to you. Paul knew firsthand about the power of the gospel. His life was changed by the gospel of Christ. Every life that is redeemed by the gospel of grace is a life that is forever changed. How do we not make that part of our life? Well, you start by not having Christ to begin with. And then process everything through your man-made understanding. That's a good way to be able to not see the forever changedness of the gospel. Does that make sense? If you don't want to see lives changed forever and you don't want to be part of Christ's kingdom, what are you doing? Well, I'm seeking answers. I'm asking questions. Great. Here's our settled answer. Well, I don't, believe, I don't agree with you. I want you to change your opinion and, and join me in my, in my doubtfulness. No. It's a settled issue. It's a settled issue. If a life becomes a thing of praise and glory to Almighty God once it's changed forever, how do we not want to be a part of that? That's what's going on. And sometimes we just, all, you know, we just assume that everybody is on board with us, and many, many of you are not. But you're welcome to join us. Well, how do I do that, Chris? Well, you transfer trust to Jesus. Some do that through a sinner's prayer. You can, you can get down on your knees by your lazy boy chair in your living room today. It does, you know, that becomes holy ground in that moment. You follow? I taught you at Easter Sunday uh, in the week before Easter and Passion when that veil's ripped from top to bottom. That means we can have access directly to the Holy of Holies. We can boldly walk up to the throne of God and say, Father, what's up? Let's get into the points today. We already got one. Let's get to another. We know about the power, God's gospel. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is engraved by sovereign power. Point number two, the gospel is engraved by a singular purpose. It's singular. It's one purpose. Why did God go to such length? To reach fallen sinners. Why did he give up his son to die on the cross for the sins of his people? The primary answer, of course, is that he loves us. However, there is more to it than that. God's plan and God's purpose in giving the gospel message is, are you ready? Salvation. It's simple. One word. Salvation. It's a very important word. It means safety, preservation, deliverance. It carries the idea of being rescued from all harm and danger. God's desire in saving sinners is to forever deliver them from spiritual death, spiritual defilement, spiritual deception, and spiritual destruction. That's a four-point message in and of its own, maybe someday. The one that I think we're fighting the most right now in America, I just think it's got a, its nose out in front if, they're coming, if these are horses coming to the wire, is spiritual deception. Spiritual deception is rampant in America. People are making Jesus out to be somebody he is not. He is our Savior. He is our Lord. See... Lest we forget, the end of all sinners outside of Jesus Christ is what? Lake of fire, hell, eternal separation. But God's love, right? So God would never do that to anybody. 
And God says, I don't do that to anybody. I offer a free, easy, pain, painless way to come. It's free. It's simple. So then you reject it, and yet you're going to blame me. That's what God says. God's purpose in giving the gospel is to change mankind's destination in eternity and their life here on earth as, as well. The testimony of peace that passes understanding of those who know Jesus, regardless of their economic status or their conditions in life, is a testimony that has touched my heart over 40 years that makes the gospel real. Well, what about all the fakers? What about all the people that hurt? What about all the people that use Jesus for their own gain? What about it? I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not the police in that area. You know, it, it, just goes back, it just goes back to Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny. I believe that the power of the resurrection, therefore the first advent, the coming of this Savior, is so great that once it breaks through, all this other piddly stuff is just what it, what it is. It's no big deal. Well, this, in our house, we don't talk about Santa. Good for you. In my house, we do. You know why? Because Jesus is so strong, is so amazing, that the kids playing their little Santa games doesn't, doesn't even come close to the magnitude of what Jesus Christ really is. It's that simple. John 10, 28 says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. The purpose of the gospel message is salvation to the lost. I don't know about y'all, but I really enjoy being saved. I'm grateful to the Lord that he gave us a salvation that we don't have to worry about. Let's go to point number three. The gospel is also engraved by a simple plan. Verse 16 tells us in no uncertain terms exactly how this gospel message of salvation is activated. Notice that it is to everyone that believes. This makes it perfectly clear that biblical salvation does not involve complicated religious rituals or elaborate religious experiences or exercises. Salvation is the product of faith and faith alone. That's, and that's where, that's where the disconnect happens for many people. This is a point where people stumble. People don't, you know, they don't like to have everything done for them. People like to do things for themselves. They like to feel like they have a part of something. However, in the matter of salvation, as a sinner, you can have no part. It's all God, all the way. Salvation comes to the person who is willing to simply receive the message of Christ by faith. I've never seen anybody have authentic salvation, authentic justification, without first seeing their need for a Savior. If you're good, then go on with your goodness. And I got a feeling you're in for a rough time on Judgment Day. And I don't say that flippantly. I say that seriously. We, we're not ashamed of the gospel, and we plead with people to save lives. But at the end of the day, we have to give it over to God, because God's got to be the one to do the saving. Uh, I could go on to a whole thing about evangelism and scorekeeping and, you know, oh, we had 632 decisions for Christ today. And then two years later, out of those 672 or whatever it is, there's only like 100 that are still living for Jesus, the rest of all backslidden. What happened? Well, they never slid forward in the first place. 
Okay, they're not really backslidden. They created a false convert situation where it says to make the better you. So Jesus has a wonderful plan for your life to make you a better fill-in-the-blank. Come to Jesus and, and, and say this little, little prayer. That's where I have the problem with the sinner's prayer. Where I don't have the problem with the sinner's prayer is when people recognize their sin and they want to find a way to transfer that trust to Jesus and so they go to him and they want a little help in praying so you guide them through kind of a step-by-step prayer that helps get them to where they want to go. But make no mistake about it, if you lead someone in a sinner's prayer, you saved no one. Did the Spirit break through and do the work or not? See, I'm thankful that the Lord kept his gospel inexpensive and easy to understand. (laughs) Have you believed that gospel? I mean, really believed? Point number four, the gospel is engraved by a serious promise. This great saving gospel message is for every person in the world. No one is beyond the reach of the gospel of grace. Notice the words from our Savior in Revelation 22, 17. It says, both the spirit and the bride say, come. Let anyone who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life freely, come. John 6.37 says this, everyone the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will never cast out. Oh, there's some of you soundly saved folks who've been running Outside the lines, you know you are, and now you got this guilt, and you're like, will the Savior bring me back? Will he take me back? Of course he will. You can't sin your way out of God's grace. But let me tell you something. If you start having that habitual sin and you no longer are feeling God convict you, that's when you're in the danger. That's when you have danger in your life because God is starting to give you over to your own way. Go back to the Old Testament. Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. Then what happened? Then God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And when he did that, his cork was sunk. It was done. Careful. Careful. There's a serious promise to us all. The promise is the gospel that one who hears the message and sees their need of salvation comes to Jesus by faith will be saved by God's precious grace. That's the whole deal. And out of that, there's all these other things that we work out in our growing in the Lord process, and it's wonderful. So, real quick, sidebar, scholar sidebar here. Many have labored over the term to the Jew first and also to the Greek. That shouldn't bother us. God did not give the Gospels to the Jews first in reference to priority. He did it in in reference to time. He had been dealing with the Jewish people for thousands of years, and then he sent his son into the world to be the Messiah of the Jewish people, and they rejected him. Now the Lord has turned to the Gentile peoples of the world to offer them salvation as well. Now salvation is available to the whosoevers. Anybody remember the message from three or four months ago? I'll, I'll, Eretz? 
This verse makes it clear that salvation is for anyone, regardless of their fill-in-the-blank, their race, their social standing, their education, their ability, their wickedness. It doesn't matter how wicked they are in your eyes, that God can save them. There's nothing which can prevent anyone who wants to be saved from being saved. Nothing that is except for one thing, the sin of unbelief. John 8, 24 tells us, Therefore I told you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Boy, I wish the Lord wasn't so coy about it. I wish he was just straightforward with, you know, just talk straight English, man. Without me, Jesus says, you will die in your sins. If you do that, what happens? The promise of the gospel is for every man, everywhere, and I thank God that it's so. If there had been restrictions on salvation, then I surely would have been left out. For sure, me and Dixie, right? The two of us. The rest of you all might have made it, but the two of us would have been left out for sure. So I'm glad that it's free. By faith and absolute full proof. So, engraved by sovereign power, engraved by singular purpose, engraved by a simple plan, engraved by a serious promise. Last point today, the gospel is engraved by a satisfying payoff. The product of the gospel in the life of the believer is called righteousness. And I've told you that he doesn't come and doesn't do all this to make bad little boys and girls good little boys and girls. He comes to take dead people and make them alive. And in that aliveness, when you come alive, you get a peace that passes all understanding, but you also get righteousness. And in that righteousness, some of us are so filthy, so slimy, the world has, has prevented us from really feeling like we could be one of God's children, that we don't understand righteousness at first. And so we have to go to the scriptures, and God has to remind us over and over and over again, no, you are righteous, you are a saint. And in that struggle, some of us know that we're saint, sainthood. We know that God's going to prevent us in front of, Jesus is going to present us in front of God as if we've never sinned, as if we're holy and perfect, and we get excited, but we still remember we still know, and every day, we grab onto him for that source of righteousness. Well, the coin can flip the other way, too. Mankind, men and women can also have a different kind of problem. They think they're righteous and therefore acceptable to the Lord. And there are two great problems. One, they think they're righteous and acceptable to the Lord. And number two, they're absolutely wrong about number one. They are not righteous and cannot produce righteousness by self-will or even by your own works. The, 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 in Isaiah, it says the very best we can do. I'm not talking about our kind of best. I'm talking about our absolute stone cold, get in the dirt, our very best effort that we can do. And, and what does the Bible say? Will, G, will God look down and say, oh, my children, Good job. Way to go. Uh-uh. The very best we can do in front of a holy God, it's like filthy rags, says Isaiah. Think about that. You ever had a kid, a child, say two, your child, 
and they're so full of mud. Or have you ever had one take their diaper off and just start wiping stuff everywhere? Don't look at her, Brogan. It's coming. (laughs) That's filthy rags. And yet you love that child, don't you? You still love that child. You clean that child up, right? Nope, that's it. He now belongs to the neighbors. No. No. God loves us which is why he did what he did for us. And our faith is placed in the gospel message. And Jesus is believed on in the heart. And God takes the sinner and now declares that person to be righteous. What man cannot do by effort, God does by his power. Simply stated, everything man looks for in religion, peace with God, acceptance by God, a right relationship with God, are all given to the believer when he receives the gospel message. It's handed to you. Isn't that a message worth sharing? So what does the phrase from faith to faith mean? Simply it refers to the fact that the believer's life is to be one of faith in God. And as the believer's life is lived, faith day by day, the righteousness of God is is revealed in the believer's life from beginning faith to ending faith. Follow? And this verse concludes, faith is to be the way of life for the child of God. Now, if you don't want to be a full-on child of God, you want to split hairs, guess what? You're not a child of God. Jesus says, be hot or cold, lukewarm, I'm going to spit out of my mouth, right? So, we've been given the gospel worth believing, one that is worth sharing. The question as we bring these thoughts together are these. Are you trusting the gospel of Christ for your salvation? Are you sharing the gospel like Paul did? Are you ashamed of the gospel of Christ? The same message that was able to save then can save now. The same power that worked in Paul's day is working in our day. All we need to do is see the gospel work and power is to believe it and to share it. You say, I want to see that power. Then believe it and share it. You know, I, I, the grandparents here are going to relate to this. People want to know what it's like to be saved before they're saved. Just like some of you that are not yet grandparents want to know what it's like to be a grandparent, but you don't know. Now, here's the thing. You think you're going to know. Yeah, I had kids. It's going to be one of my blood offspring. I know how I'm going to feel about this. You have no idea. You have no idea. I don't know why grandkids are better, but they are. (laughs) They are. It's the same thing. No one can tell you what it's like, but once you experience it, you can't unexperience it. And then we get caught up in putting all of our effort into these experiences with the Spirit and experiences with God, and that's not where I'm going with this. But if you've never had a moment where you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ and asked him to come into your heart, forgive you of your sins, you transfer total salvation trust, and then you become what's called born again, the spirit gets infused in you, and you are now alive, and your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. If that's never happened for you, I'm encouraging you to do that, and you cannot tell me that you're not 
worthy. Everyone is worthy in the sight of God, regardless of their background. While you are yet a sinner, while you're filthy, while you did whatever you did last night and the night before, God still loves you and wants you. It's amazing God would take the most important message the world has ever heard and then place it in the hands of sinful people like you and like me, but he does. And then that's when he starts that good work in us, and does that mean we're going to finish it on this side? No. None of us are who we totally lay ourselves out to be. Y'all got secrets. Y'all got stuff. I'm no different. But what happens is, is that stuff becomes less and less in your life, and the few things that do remain become more important to you. And what I mean by more important to you, I mean more, they become more evil than what they were two months ago because you haven't dealt with it yet. And God wants to help you deal with it. And so what do we do? We start working on all these things, and now we cross over into behavior modification. Now my behavior's got to match what my faith is, and it doesn't. So I'm the loser, Christian. No, you're normal. You got to get into God's word and you got to want to spend time with him because of out of good old-fashioned gratitude. You can't help it. You love him so much because of what he's done for you. It's amazing then he would give us his gospel and then command us to take it to the world. Do you know that the Bible says that no one is saved apart from the preaching of the gospel? 1 Corinthians 1.21 says, For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Let's bring it home with Romans 10.13-17. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? How are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So verse 17, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. How you doing with that message? And if you've done with that message, what many of you have, how you doing when it comes to sharing it? If you are saved, you will be so jacked. You'll be so excited. You'll be so alive knowing that you've passed from death to life that you won't be ashamed of the gospel. You know its power. And there is a desire within you to share it with those who do not know its power. And there is no better time to get busy telling others than today. And if you are here and you're like, dude, I want in. Come see me. Take the time yourself. And it's always good to let somebody know. We have connection cards here. We have other people that you might know. It's always good to let somebody else know, hey, I took a step of faith today. You don't need me to introduce you to Jesus, but I'd love to do it. Let me share with you 74 words to close. Best, I love condensing stuff. I used to do that as an editor all the time. You'd meet with clients and they'd say, I want to share with this, 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 and this. And we've got 30 seconds to say it. 
and especially when they've got this disclaimer that they have to use legally at the end. You ever remember those radio voices sped up like at 100? I used to, I used to be that guy. Yeah. Clothes were prohibited, but authorized. You know, just throw words out there. The gospel, I just explained it to you in 35 minutes. I'm going to condense it down into 74 words. I didn't condense it down. Somebody else did. But I love this. You ready? Here's the gospel in 74 words. The good news that the just and gracious creator of the universe has looked upon hopelessly sinful men and women and has sent his son, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, to bear his wrath against sin on the cross and to show his power over sin in the resurrection so that everyone who turns from their sin in themselves and trusts in Jesus as Savior and Lord will be reconciled to God forever. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this great, awesome gospel. May it be the power of our lives every day. And may you touch your children again today as your mercies are renewed every morning. We love you, Jesus. Thank you. Amen. Thanks for listening to the teaching ministry of my husband, Chris Danielson. BibleIdiots.com is still the website for this show, but we have grown. The new parent ministry is found at FreshRoadMedia.com. We would love to have you join us on our sister broadcast, a talk show that walks out Christian living and Bible apologetics entitled No Apology with Emily and Chris, a weekly download from FreshRoadMedia.com. Both broadcasts are listener-supported, and we would love to have you join us as the Lord leads. I'm Emily Danielson, and thank you so much for spending some time with us today. And may you see the blessings of the Lord as you go and serve your King.